How you guys doing, Chinese Magic Family? This is your host, Mark Karaki, uh, bringing in yet another episode of the podcast. This week, I had the privilege of sitting down with Mr. Henry Chabuzio, who is the co-founder and CEO at Schoolable, which is a financial services infrastructure for running a successful school business. Henry and his co-founder started Schoolable right after university in Nigeria, and they have proceeded to go through the process of building a, a company from scratch with little to no experience and uh, you will hear how that what that journey has been like and what makes him stand out they also went to ic in 2019 and through that have been able to raise capital and uh, a lot of great lessons to learn from, from this founder so enjoy the podcast this week i have the honor and privilege of sitting down with with Henry, who is the founder of Schoolable, uh, financial infrastructure for running schools. I love this idea, Henry, and welcome to the podcast. Thank, thank you very much, Mark. I'm excited to be here and to share my, my journey with the audience. Yeah, fantastic. So, Henry, I, I imagine you're sitting in Lagos, or am I, am I wrong? Yeah, I'm sitting in Lagos, Lagos, Nigeria. Yeah, fantastic. Huge fan of Lagos and, uh, and Nigeria in general. Uh, so I'm here in Nairobi. Uh, and so the first question I would, I would have for you is, what is Schoolable? Uh, I, I try to kind of describe it, but I'm sure you can do a much better job than I, than I can. So why don't you tell us what Schoolable is and uh, what problem okay. you're trying to solve? Okay. Um, so Schoolable started out as, as uh, a fintech company trying to solve education payments, right? Mm. Um, in, in, in Nigeria, where we are, it's, it's very tricky making, um, education payments and it's very tricky for school owners or, you know, school administrators to organize and reconcile payments from parents, right? Mm. Because traditionally, mm. you know, parents are expected to make payments into, into, um, a single bank account. It's, right. it's, it's all well and good when you have, you know, a couple of students, but when you have a good number of students, it, it introduces a lot of management nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. um, because you try to resolve and to match payments. So um, that's what Schoolable started out as, um, a payment system that allows parents to make payments to the schools and the schools mm -hmm. receive it and reconcile it and make sense of who is paying what. Mm -hmm. And over time, we've sort of like evolved into um, this family, um, family, you know, financial tool that allows them mm -hmm. um, not just make payments to the school, but also allow the, uh, the teenagers or the young people in those families to, you know, receive money from their parents and, and spend it around the school as well. So think of it like uh, a digital wallet for, for kids that, right. and they have a card where, you know, they can use and spend money in school and their parents are like monitoring what they are spending on and, you know, just, you know, having a, some sort of control on how much they spend and where and what they spend on. Right. right. So, you know, in summary, that's what, you know, schoolable really is. And we are like working with quite a number of schools here in Nigeria both government, public schools, and private ones as well. So yeah, that's that's schoolable. That's very exciting. That's very exciting. So you started to you you 
you started off solving the financial administrative burden and then evolved to now pocket money or, or uh, basically expanding the shelf wallet in the entire school ecosystem, including students correct. and parents and things of that nature. Correct. That's, that's correct, man. That's exciting. So do you still, just to kind of get a sense, so both products, these, are, these sounds like two independent products under the same platform. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Two independent products. And both, both products are still functional. Do you see other other products uh, in the ecosystem that you're going to be building into your product roadmap? Um, so it's it's hard to tell, to be honest, because a lot of times you you sit and make projections of what is going to happen or what mm. you're going to build, but mm. um, the market tells you something different, right? Um, right? So we just tend to flow with the market and and as as because you know. One of the things about building a business is that you have a lot of assumptions on what right. should happen or what right. will happen. But when you get into it, um, you, you quickly find out that you know most of your assumptions may not be correct, um, and you just have to you know um, try to align yourself with with what the market wants. So I can't really say um, it's it's a lot already building two independent products in the ecosystem. So mm. I think we, we are going to focus on this for a while to, to, mm. to you know, solidify our base on it. Yeah, makes total sense. I think there are two very compelling products as it is with a huge, huge uptake. I mean, just those two products alone can keep you going for many, many years um, in a, in a, on our continent. So I guess the next question I would have for you, because I would, I, would, I would like to come back to kind of how the product has grown and, and, and uh, that experience. But uh, before we get there, maybe we go into who Henry is, right? Like your background, education, you know, your, your professional career and path to entrepreneurship. So if you could describe what that was like. Okay. Mm. Okay. I don't have a career. Sorry to bust your bubble. Um, I think I, I, I studied computer science in, in, in one of the Nigerian universities um, in Southern Nigeria. It's called University of Uyo. Is in a five bomb state, South South Nigeria. So that was where um, I met my co-founder as well. We were mm -hmm. in the same class. Um, okay. I like every young computer science student out there. We were very enthusiastic about what the future holds. Um, right. We imagined how we'll be building startups and and coding our way. So we spent a lot of time playing around codes and around computers in school mm -hmm. and you know um we 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 did, towards our final year in school we got into building stuff right mm -hmm. we we you know and incidentally we were building education products for 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 schools um at the time we were we we're trying to automate the way schools um manage their activities more like taking them off you know, a manual processes, right? right. To, to automating the, I mean, it's one of the most popular startups, um, a popular product idea in Africa. So right. we, 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 we toiled or we played with that a lot. So we built a couple of, couple of things and we sold it to the market. Mm. Um, and we just went from school directly to, to building startups. 
and that was why I said that, you know, um, I, I don't have a career because I don't know what it feels like um, working in a structured environment because for the most of the time you spend building a startup is unstructured and it's quite chaotic. Um, so we, we went directly from school into building startups and, and ever since then we've been in this journey and that was like 2017. So, so it's, it's not been, you know, long at all. Maybe it's, it's been long, but mm, yeah. Mm, so that's that is not much to really see about that, but just plain old, yeah. Yeah. So how, a couple of questions. So in terms of the education experience, right, how would you describe the quality of computer science education at your institution where you went to school? The reason I ask this is because, you know, obviously tech talent is a big deal. Uh, and we actually, for, for all of us, were building things. So just trying to get a sense of what that was like for you on a scale of one to 10, how do you describe the quality of that ex experience? It sounds like you guys were self-motivated, which is different, but in terms of just uh, the average person being exposed to the quality of computer science education, how would you describe that? Okay. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the, one, what I would say is that there is room for improvement, um, especially in the public, um, education space in, in Nigeria. And I imagine in Africa at large, Right. Um, but for anyone that did anything exceptional, you, you mostly have to go outside the curriculum of outside the things that uh, education, um, you know, or formal education will offer you. Right. Um, like I said, there there are lots and lots of improvements for for um, in in the in the university system in Nigeria, and we spent a lot of time learning things that, yeah, I would say foundational to where we found ourselves today. But for most of the things we learned, um, they were largely not very relevant in, mm -hmm. in today, today's, and the things we find ourselves doing today. But you always get this uh, argument about, you know, where I imagine the, the listeners of this podcast will be going with some of the you know, things that are going in their mind um, is school necessary? Should we go to school and all? And I will say that, you know, school offers a lot more for me, um, not from the traditional education or maybe what I learned about computer science school, but it offered me like a platform to meet people. It offered me like a platform to learn other life skills that ordinarily I might not have learned outside this, the four walls of the school. Um, so I think in in just plain terms, school played a critical role for me in, you know, um, in evolving into uh, what, what I'm doing today. Um, not because it taught me a lot about computer science and coding, but it, it gave me that environment to to learn other skills that are quite critical for, in the, for the, you know, for me in, in my life today. So that, that's what I would say. Yeah, plus you met your co-founder there, so that, that was Absolutely. a win all around. Yeah. And, and then you you left school and did the very non-traditional thing, uh, you know, pursued startups. Uh, and the question begs, how does uh, the average African, is, is that's not an option, right? In terms yeah. of graduating and then pursuing startups. How do, were you able to do that? What, what, what were the sources of support that made, made okay. that possible? Okay, I, I think it's, you know, 
most of the things that happen to us in life is a question of how we evolved as individuals. Mm-hmm. My mom is an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. from, you know, from a young age, she, she, she is an independent beauty consultant, right? Mm-hmm. And she owned a store mm-hmm. um, in, in a small town in Nigeria. So from a very young age of my life, I've seen how, you know, how things work, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. how you, how logistics work, for instance, how profit and loss works, how you mm-hmm. buy things and sell them, how you make things and talk to customers, how, like, I throughout from secondary school to, I spent a lot of time with her and her, you know, trying to build her business. So it yeah. was, it was some form of informal education for me. Right. And incidentally as well, my dad, you know, used to be, used to work in the financial industry, worked for mm. a bank. Mm. And I spent a lot of time with him as well. You know, he was, you know, studying, taking professional courses at the time. So I started, I spent a lot of time discussing those things he was studying. I spent a lot of time discussing his work. I think he mm. was one of uh, the early people that you know worked in a bank that did distributorship financing um, for for large corporates, right? Mm. So we spent a lot of time dis- 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 discussing some of those things and 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 the failures of of. So it was it was more like I had a view on both worlds, and mm. I think I, I made a judgment call that I, I don't think I would want to be like my dad. And mm-hmm. it was it was it was more like because he didn't have time, you know. He always had he didn't have time to experiment, even though he had views on how things should work in mm-hmm. the work he was he was doing. Mm-hmm. But most times his views might not, um, you know, pan out because he still need, needed to get approval to get things done. But for mm-hmm. my mom, you know, even though her stuff was a very small scale. But she could make decisions, right? She could right. she could decide that you know I, I want to change my strategy of how I interact with my customers, and the next day she's able to do it, right? So I think those two shaped my mind, and it wasn't this support didn't come from the money because I mean on any starting and budding entrepreneur understands that money is secondary, you know, but it, it came came from that consciousness or that awareness that it's possible to actually start a business, mm. run it and grow it, mm. right? Because mm. it has a lot to do with the mind frame of, of the Completely. entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it was, it was already clear to me at, at that, at the time that this is possible, right? So I was able to take all the learnings I've had, you know, mm. from informal learnings I've had from the family, formal learnings from the school, try to put it together to to actually try to start a business so mm. it's yeah I, I guess it's that simple maybe not simple but it, it's that uh, straightforward for me there's no mm. yeah mm. so you already had the what would you call it the soft the bug already uh working or the or the operating system for entrepreneurship built Correct. in Correct. yeah but there's also the very material reality of financing an entrepreneurial enterprise 
right? So from yeah. day one, when you when you graduated from school, you went into entrepreneurship. How did you do that, right? What? How did you finance life? Were you, yeah? How did that work out? Okay, so I think it's it's also a question of I, I will go back to all of these life skills that I learned, right? I, okay. I had I read a lot of books growing up. One of the you know you know really interesting book I read while I was in school was The Lean Startup uh, by Eric Rice. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it was one of the books that, you know, this is, this is also about being young because when most people start their entrepreneurial journey, mm-hmm. um, if they are young, they are able to take more risks. Right. Right. And if you're young, you're able to do things without thinking about the consequences. Mm-hmm. Financing life being able to finance, you know, what you eat, where you live, you know, begins to make the comes along as or starts becoming a thing as you continue to evolve as an adult. But at the time when we were in school, we we, we lived in the school dormitories, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, um we, we had stipends from, from parents mm-hmm. and those stipends could suffice for food and internet because that was the only two things we knew we already had computers you know thank god we were in computer science so it was it was already um natural for us to own a laptop but then what we really needed at the time of you know starting out to build this was internet and food and maybe money to go and meet customers and all Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot, right? It, it wasn't a lot. We didn't need all that funding because the learning to come or the things we needed to learn to actually evolve came from those little, you know, wins, you know, build a product, put it out there, um, go meet, schedule a meeting with the customer, demonstrate your product, try to sell, you know, close the product and get money out of it. That cycle. I, I keep telling, you know, any entrepreneur that wants to do it, it, like you really don't have to spend a lot of money, you know, doing that. And I, again, that's also uh, my own journey. There are other entrepreneurial journeys that are different, especially when you get to people who, who have had experience in certain industries, maybe have had a job um, and then wants to become an entrepreneur. It's a different path, right? Because maybe they understand who they need to talk to, they understand the customers, they, they've had prior experience. So it's, right. for me, we didn't like need a lot of money because we mm. were young, mm. yeah, less. Mm. I, I, I can't imagine myself today taking that risk, right? Because <laughs> as an adult, you'll be worried about so many things. Oh, where, where is my child? Is, is my child going to go? What if I fall sick? What if my mother is not healthy? And what if... There are so many what-ifs as an adult, but as a young teenager, right? There are, or in your early 20s, there are, you don't worry about anything, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also depends on your family. And, depends you know, on your family, family, yeah, because... Yeah, if you don't have, if you have a family where you get the support, by support, I mean people are able to take care of themselves. Right. Because there are families that, um, you know, unfortunately, 
you are the one that will probably need to get a job and take care of them. Then mm. it becomes hard, right? Mm. So it's it's the dynamics are it just all depends on on where you find yourself. But what yeah. I would say is for me um, and the personal journey, which of course is is going to be different for everybody. We didn't need a lot of money starting out, and and it was it was easier for us to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, thanks for sharing that. And and the other thing also, as you mentioned, is you know the go to market lack of experience, and uh, and that also comes down with with credibility, lack of credibility, or and all that that you have to overcome. Uh, how yeah. did you deal with that, especially going into a very <laughs> what you would call conservative? sector education right and very mature in a lot of ways in terms of it's been there for a while and the people who are doing it have been there for a long time and here comes some two whippersnapper 20 somethings uh trying to sell something to them how what was that experience like hmm i i i think it's that that inexperience has a lot to um it's it's a double-edged sword, right? Mm. Because inexperience can be a propelling factor to to get you to do to see things differently, which I think it helped us. Sure. But mm. inexperience can also be a disaster mm. when when you don't um, put in extra effort to you know because you're obviously deficient in so many areas of of running a business. Right. So you either have to hire the right people to be able to cover those deficiencies or you try to learn as quickly. Right. And which is, I think we went with the later. Um, mm. We read everything we could lay our hands on. Mm, mm, right. Mm, mm. Like, yeah. At, at a point, I read, mm. I read um, a book from a predominant um, about positioning. Uh, positioning mm-hmm. your brand or positioning mm-hmm. your startup. Right. I was so fearless that I literally wrote a predom for and said, I want to have a call with you. Right. <laughs> That's fantastic. Honestly, like <laughs> right. I was that fearless. And you know, surprisingly, she responded. She got on the one hour long call with me and we spoke about positioning and how it affects the startup. And sometimes when I look back to some of those things that I did, it, it was it was just sheer fearlessness. It was yeah. sheer naivety. I was just naive. And those two are two things that I think anybody that have done something that is really great is that will be able to would need. Right, because you would look at the status quo and you try to question what should be, and you try to drive past all of any challenge that might come your way. Because I mean, you don't even recognize it's a challenge, right? I could remember when, you know, um, sometimes when we look back at at how we survived the early days, it's funny because yeah. we were earning. Um, you know, in today's money, a dollar a day. And wow. the dollar a day was supposed to buy us food. This, this was like after the university period. was supposed mm. to buy us food and provide transport, right? Mm. And mm. like not good food, but, you know, just food. Mm. And we ended for up to nine months, mm. right? 
mm. waiting for like after school, right after school, and chasing down all of these people to okay, you know, close started closing customers and all. So that mm. experience for me was a propelling factor. You know, when you're hungry, the inexperienced, you know, spot the hunger in us. Right. Right. The right. Hunger to right. Know, hunger yeah. to learn. And that's actually um, very, yeah. very instructive. And that, that to me is, is a, I find that not everybody has that hunger to learn. Some people just yeah. think you will just do and run through walls and build a product and go and stuff it down people's throat and it's supposed to work. I've seen that one also. But this idea that you, you are reading, um, in my experience uh, here, because I work with a lot of young people, and uh, I find that it's not a common thing. It's not. It's not. It's not the the, the norm, right? People f- think when they finish school, you know, everything is supposed. They, they know everything they need to know, right? So that uh, that's actually, in my view, differentiated from you from for for your from your perspective, and and explains a lot as to why you guys were able to navigate those 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 early stages and not make too many mistakes, right? Oh, we did make a ton of mistakes. I get this wrong. No, not. And, I'm saying you, you didn't. You didn't make any fatal ones. Clearly. Oh yeah, I, I guess. And you know, something else I want to point out to the listeners is, I think we learned how to not take things personal, mm. right? Because you know, running in, in the journey of running a startup, you're gonna meet first. You're going to try to hire. I tried to hire my my classmates, a lot of them. Right, <laughs> that was the first. <laughs> that was the first rude shock of my life, and <laughs> and you know I hired them. I I literally made them co-founders and gave them all the shares and all that stuff. Oh wow! But I quickly realized that hey, dude, that's not how to do it. Mm. everybody had their own you know definition of what their life should look like that definition comes from um it could come from the family it could come from the you know the society culture anywhere Mm. culture Mm. and having that humility to understand that people make decisions you know based on certain criteria that probably wouldn't favor you. Right, based on so their worldview. <laughs> yes, having that humility is is key to actually surviving as well. Yeah, yeah. Because Big deal. you get mm-hmm. these people, yeah, they make that decision, hey, this is not for me. Like, you expect them to behave in a certain way and they are not doing it. Just having that humility <laughs> to say, okay, okay, this is not how to do this. Right. Let me look for another way. And not taking it Take out it on them because it's so yeah. stressful, right? right? It's so stressful being angry at people, being stressed <laughs> out about life. It's so stressful. And just, you know, zeroing your mind and having that humility to say, okay, this is not probably not the way to do this. Let me look for another way. And then as yeah. you continue to evolve, you're going to meet, you know, going to get to stages where you, you, you're talking to, you know, key or, uh, you know, prospective employees that you want to hire. And you're going to hire them and they're going to behave in ways that, you know, do not work out very well for you, right? And you're going to spend a lot of time 
trying to get angry about why they are not doing what you want them to do, right? Like, and you're just going to spend so much mental energy. It's yeah, maybe so true. If you had, <laughs> if you channel that mental energy to something else, maybe you wouldn't feel that bad, really, because right. the, the world is the world is constant. Whatever yeah. happens is neither good nor bad. Mm, but the way we process those things that happen, exactly, the way we process it is different. Because one one person can be taking and making a move that he feels is beneficial to him. To him, best move, great. Mm, it's mm. still constant. But to you, it isn't beneficial. And you're pissed off. You're upset. But, you know, when you look at it properly, you don't find out that, we, you know, to be an entrepreneur, we need to have the humility to accept things. And then exactly. you talk to investors yeah. who think that what you're doing isn't great. Yeah. And for all intent and purposes, the investors might be correct. Right. Because, <laughs> because they, you know, that's, that's it. Not, I've met a lot of investors that didn't have the courage, maybe not courage, that felt it was a matter of courtesy maybe to stop responding or not to tell you that, hey, this is what I really think about your business. You're not going to get it correct. Like a lot of people are like that. And if they do it out of courtesy, out of, I don't want to hurt your feeling. I don't want to talk you down so that you don't, you don't give up. Right. right, right. So when, when you meet those, meet those kind of people, you also have to, need to have the humility to process, you know, the body language and all that stuff and say, okay, maybe this is not the right thing. Maybe this is mm. the right thing, right? Mm. And just not be angry at anyone, no Don't matter what happens. Yeah. It's something personal. So mm. I think that's one of the key, uh, the key things I learned as well along the mm. journey. Mm. Right? And of course, you're also going to meet a lot of fantastic people who will tell you things for what it is, who are mm. going to give you... Uh, who are going to give it to you hot. This thing is not great. Stop doing it. Or this is good. Do it. Right. And also having that humility to just really accept it and um learning along the way is is what I think is is great. I guess it's a lot more about behavior right. than you know psychology. Yeah. Mm. It's a lot more about psychology. Because a lot mm. of times you're going to wake up and and the world is crumbling. And it's, it's 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 a routine, so you just have to, you know, have that patience and humility to accept certain things that you cannot change and control, and mm-hmm. try to focus mm-hmm. on the things you can change and mm-hmm. control. Yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic. So, a uh, couple of questions on pivotal points in uh, in an entrepreneur's uh, journey, right? Uh, one, I think that pivotal one is winning your first customer. And the other one is mm. uh, raising your first external money, right? Can mm. you talk to us about those experiences? Which was your first customer, what, what that was like, and, you know, your first fundraise? Yeah, I, I, think, I think those are positive pivotal points. You know, permit me um, to also, you know, include negative pivotal points for, for our audience because it's, um, it's very easy to... It's very easy to uh, always talk about the, the nice the nice road, right? And and you don't talk about the things that are the things that are painful or the things that mm-hmm. people are really let's not make it like the way we learned mathematics in, in school. We'll in, get in we'll get to those. 
we'll get to those as we go on but <laughs> so okay. let's let's start with the, the, the positive then we'll get to the real stuff <laughs> after okay. that yeah. okay so for me um positive is obviously when we want our first customer mm. it was in a five bomb state in uyo and mm. it, we had two schools actually uh mm. fortune high school that's the name of the first school right uh the second school now I can't remember, but we, we, you know, as fearless and young as we were, when mm. met the, the management of the schools and, you know, pitched our life out there, kept on convincing them about how we have, we had the greatest technology ever and all. <laughs> and, and the win wasn't that, okay, I'm going to pay you X amount, come and do mm. this for us. Mm. That's not the win. The win mm. for us is, okay, I think we want to try out your software. Just, mm. just come. Mm. You, we've not discussed money. We've not discussed mm. how much they're gonna pay us. All of that stuff. It was, right. it was just convincing them to say yes. That was the first major win, and that was when we knew we were like onto something that people could say yes to, whatever garbage we have, right? right. That we should bring it into their businesses or into their premises for us to deploy. Mm. It was, it was an eye opener. Mm. And it was it was a very it was a good experience as well, mm. and for me the, the second pivotal point as well was when we got um was when we got our first funding, you know, like you rightly mentioned from Micro Traction, and mm. you know it was it was it was funny, but I, I wasn't in we were never in Lagos for you know, we didn't start up the business in Lagos we started mm. it up in in this in one like southern nigeria mm. and i remember getting in just like he reached out to me yelly mm. yelly is the ceo of micro traction at the time mm. he reached out to me like this and wanted to run a podcast i i, mm. I think i can recall and i'm mm. like he was working for a different company you know altogether. and i think mm. our interaction was was interesting he was he was starting out i was starting out and and we, we, we became acquaintances, right? And, mm. you know, we touched base, you know, time after time. And at some point he wrote to me and said, hey, hey, dude, I'm starting out um, a fund called Microtraction. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would like to talk to you and about your business, right? And then, you know, we started talking along the line. I moved to Lagos and I got the first funding from him. And, mm. you know, I, I, I still give a lot of kudos to him because I learned a lot and I'm still learning a lot from him today. Um, he gave me all the extra dose of fearlessness I needed. Um, you know, he could take giant strides and, and make bold moves. So mm. those, that was a key pivotal point. Mm. Then another key, another key pivotal point for me was um, the day that in, in Mountain View, I was in a train, Mountain View in California, and mm. I got a call over Skype. Mm. And that call was from Michael Siebel. Mm. And he was like, hey, you got accepted into Y Combinator. And that was, I was like, okay, I needed some time to actually process what was happening. I just said, thank you. And he said, we look forward to seeing you and all that stuff. And I put up my phone. I didn't want to call anyone. And, you know, (laughs) as the train was moving, I was, you know, playing all the journey in my head and right. all of the how tough it's been and all that stuff like they were they were and i think that's 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 another you know part of 
really, really great part of being an entrepreneur because you're going to have, you're going to get like, there are things that you keep looking up to, right? Right. And you're looking up to building a business, winning your first customer, getting your first investment, you know, hitting a, a, a revenue milestone or hitting a customer acquisition milestone. Those are the things that are that dopamine rush when you hit those milestones. Right, right. Nothing as compared to it, I tell you the mm. truth. Absolutely mm. not. Because it's yeah. not money, like really. But when you look at it, you know where you started to grow this thing and when you get to a particular milestone, I think it's uh, it's really, really refreshing. So yeah, yeah. those yeah. are the three key, you know, pivotal points I think I, I can recall. Fantastic. I, I can totally relate. So so you did YC, uh, and uh, right. what happened? Were you were you able to capitalize on that one? Did you get funding from that process? Correct. We we were in YC in winter of twenty nineteen. Mm. Um, we we got funding, and most of our investors are from that um, from that relationship or from that you know thing we built we built mm. out then. Mm. Um, we got YC as an investor. We got all the other networks that YC provides. And I think it's a fantastic experience. So yeah, mm -hmm. you went through. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you come back from YC, I guess, uh, let's talk about organizational development or growth, uh, rather, because yeah. obviously you raise money to drive growth. Um, you started with two, you and your co-founder, and what's, what's your co-founder's name, by the way? The moment my co-founder is Angela, she's a woman. Oh, wow, fantastic, that's exciting. Um, yep. that, that's, 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 that's huge. I, I'm a, I'm a big champion for women in leadership. And, uh, I think it's, uh, it's the, in my view, it is the secret source of how we will build great companies in Africa. But anyway, um, what, how have you guys grown your organization from, or maybe even let me ask, uh, your relationship with you and your co-founder, how do you guys complement each other? You know, what is it that, okay. what can you say about her and you that makes you guys a great team? Okay. Uh, so I think um, she's, a, she's, a, she's a, like most women in Africa, she's a realist. Mm. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I give kudos to women because, you know, think about men. And again, it's not, maybe not biological, but it's cultural. It's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's definitely cultural. And you, you get to think that, I know this stuff. I know <laughs> I've read <laughs> I've read so much about this thing. I'm so sure that this is what we should do. Right. But I think um, you know, something like that women have. Mm. It's maybe it's cultural, maybe it's instincts, maybe it's I don't know what it is. So mm. but I see work out all the time. Um it should be a bit more realistic. It's like all of those beautiful Thing that you can paint and you can say mm. she analyzes things from more of a realistic point of view from bottom say, hey, perspective <laughs> exactly so if you do this this is how and you know for many times i i sometimes you get to fight with i get to fight with and say no i i don't think we should do it but at the end of the day mm. i think she says pan out mm. so again it's it's not it's not out of uh you know it's not out of Maybe because she's 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 a soothsayer or she's so I'm very careful when she's not on board 
what what I'm trying to execute. Yeah. I'm always very <laughs> careful uh, because, like, over time, over and over, she has, you know, proven that hey, you know, she has proven to bring that balance, mm. you know, from optimism mm. to mm. someone who is mm. just trying to be very realistic. Mm. And of course, you know, also have the best interest of the business at heart. For sure. So I think that's that's how I've, I've, we've tried to balance our, you know, our our Dynamic. relationship mm. and the dynamics mm. of, of the business as well. Because I get okay. like all of this rush and adrenaline and, and trying to get things move faster. She mm. she balances it out with um with some <laughs> and yeah. And we we I think we've worked out, you know, fine so far. And for from an organizational perspective as well, I think it's the most challenging part of being an inexperienced entrepreneur mm. because everything is going to be new, right? Exactly. Yes. You're going to have uh, challenges hiring people. You won't know how to do it. You won't know. In fact, I, I, I didn't know how to write emails when I started. I, I remember writing an email to one of the early, early entrepreneurs at the time. And he spent mm. most of his, uh, he spent most of his, uh, you know, responses correcting my email than actually <laughs> answering my questions. And I yeah. was so furious. And I'm like, why is this guy not answering me? You know, but, you know, growing up, you know, getting here now, I realize how important it is that I write proper emails first. Mm. I realized how important it is that I articulate what I wanted to say first um, right. before I, I, I put it out there. So I think, you know, it's it's very tough and I still face that challenge today. Like, you know, um, organizing, you know, running a proper organization. But again, I, I say it's it's learning. Like, you mm. I have to learn. I have to talk to people who... I, I talk to people who have done this, you know, a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I... I, I some of my network, I call up people who are currently running, you know, the roles. For instance, if, I, if I'm looking to do something in communications, I sort out for, for people who are already currently doing communications in companies that I admire. And mm-hmm. good thing about Africa is that most, uh, a good thing about entrepreneurship, not just in Africa, is that most people who work in an entrepreneurial setting, startup and, and, and stuff, always are willing to help. Yes, always are willing to help you without Um, asking you for anything. But you know, I I, I gotta say this, Henry. That that is actually a uh, uh, not true across all ecosystems. You know, a friend, a friend and I were discussing this in in Nairobi. It's not always true. Uh, You'd be surprised. I found that uh, Nigerian ecosystem is much more open and egalitarian, and there are no power plays. Over here, it's a very different culture. I got to be honest with you. Uh, it, it's changing, but the root of it is people are very uh, closed off, even in the startup ecosystem, which is which is very detrimental because most people don't understand that it's, it, it is a rising tide lifts all boats. So I found that you guys are much more in that direction than people here uh, tend to be. Yeah, and what I would say to your... Um to your to the listeners i imagine people in nairobi is that that is what being an entrepreneur is exactly because you're going to get 99 people say no to you 
that is it. Like, that's the stuff. You're going to get 99 of them say, nope, I'm not going to do this. They can say no by not answering your emails. They can say no by not, like, it was also the experience, you know. And, and I, I also think that one of the, you know, mistakes I made was spending time and writing people I read on the internet. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. I you read a lot of articles you read and I was so fearless that I, I just keep mailing people who are running, who have raised maybe, you know, $5 million or a million dollars like four or five years ago. And one of the things I've noticed is that like, you know, you're, you're most likely not going to get any response from those kind of people, the people that are already in the news. Right. You're most likely <laughs> to get response from right. them. Right. And, and again, ties back to what I, I, I keep saying. Like, you need to have the humility to accept that maybe this is not the way to do this. It's, it's, it's not never that person's fault. He didn't answer you. It didn't matter. At the time, I was writing entrepreneurs on Facebook, who the hell writes entrepreneurs on Facebook? Who the mm-hmm. hell write people emails on on Twitter or like? So like I I think it's you know entrepreneurs should know that like when you get a no, it's part of the journey. It's a new way of not doing this, right? So when you get people who are not willing to share and to collaborate, keep looking for people who are willing to share and collaborate. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure you would find them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, no, but yeah. you know, it's it, culturally speaking, it, it also, you know, uh, it's good to point out things that uh, are systemic so that people can Correct. have a different Absolutely. perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. So they don't, so because people only learn from each other and from other uh, across the pond, if you will, or across the continent. Uh, and this for, for, for us is a big deal. And clearly, you can see by the performance of you guys, the way you guys are, are doing a lot of stuff. Of course, the, the the weight of numbers also tells. But at the end of the day, I find that that openness, collaboration, and just spirit of uh, togetherness is, is much more uh, pronounced in your culture, which is fantastic. So we need to learn a lot from you from that perspective. The other question I have for you is, so, so state of the business, right? So how, how big is the team right now? How, how many people at uh, Schoolable? Okay, well, I think we have 15 right now. Um, mm-hmm. We've grown since after the pandemic um, because mm-hmm. I think the pandemic affected, you know, most businesses and it hits education business so much that schools mm-hmm. closed mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, I think it happened across the world. Mm-hmm. Um so we, we scaled down at the time and now we, we are moving, we are, you know, scaling back up to about mm. 15 in number, mm. including mm. I and my co- mm. co-founder. Most of all mm. are remote um, mm-hmm. because, you know, mostly technical um, knowledge workers here are remote, um, right. but operation and support staff, uh, you know, in person for most of them. Um, mm. So, so I guess, I, I guess that's that's the number of this organization. Mm. Yeah. And so, in terms of number of customers, uh, how many schools do you have? Okay, so right now we have about uh, seven hundred schools. On oh wow! Wow, uh, yeah, I don't like. Yeah, I don't like throwing those numbers because we have about ten percent of them super active. And, okay, mm-hmm. and um. Um, we 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 have about twenty thousand families um, on Google. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and yeah, it's it's those are the like the numbers. Those that are we good have. numbers. It's a good it's a good footprint to 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 convert from. Um, so, what's the future of Schoolable? Uh, where do you see this going? Right, like what is the vision in what does success look like in your mind's eye, and and uh, when does okay. that happen? Mm. Okay. So, um, you mentioned something about cultural deficiencies in Africa, mm. right? Mm. And you try to highlight some of the cultural differences that Nairobi have, or, you know, Kenya has, and Nigeria, you know, you know, has something mm -hmm. different that's working mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. And, but there is, there, there are also things that are culturally prevalent across board in Africa. Yes. Yes. Which is, I, I think it has something to do with, we seek permission to do things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are very obedient. To your fault. <laughs> to a fault. <laughs> and I don't know why. Mm. There are so many questions I have around why a child, a, a parent is going to take a child to a hospital. And instead of the child saying, talking about what is wrong with him or her, the parent is saying, so he has fever, he has headache, he has, mm. you know, tummy pains and all that stuff. Mm. This may seem very harmless, but it's widely done across board in mm. Africa. Right. But what it does is, is that it makes it hard for kids to ask questions. Right. Right. It makes You're it supposed to be seen and not hard in Africa, in an African yes. household. <laughs> yes. It makes it hard for, for kids to ask to 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 challenge the status quo, mm -hmm. right? Why you know I, I keep thinking Africa has probably one of the best food combination anywhere, mm. but why hasn't someone taken a bold step and made and making it made it a global thing? The way we eat burger, the way we eat cheese, the way we eat all of these things, and I think it's because people took matters into their hands and asked questions. Why not? Right. So I think for Schoolable, we want to empower kids to ask the question, why not? Versus yeah. just being obedient. And we yeah. want to do that through financial literacy and financial independence, right? We want kids to, you know, be able to manage and spend money and have an independent thoughts around how money should be managed and spent, you know, through things like having, you know, allowances paid, you know, from their parents and then being able to spend and manage money independent of whoever. Like millions of kids today across Africa go to schools that, you know, they, they have guardians or they have, you know, people, the concept of school father or school mother. I don't know, like, if it's prevalent in, in Nairobi, but here in Nigeria, you know, when you get to school, someone is supposed to take care of you. Someone is supposed to give you money in peace meals as you need it. Someone is supposed to, like, so kids, mm. kids are always scared of, you no, know, going, they, want, they want something. They're always mm. scared of going to get it. 
And mm. we think that, like Africans and African families, we think that we're doing that person a favor. We're making him obedient. We're mm. making him obey. <laughs> we're making him follow some rules. We are, he's being trained. That has its good side. But it's very important that we understand what are the bad side of doing those things, right? Mm. And how can we improve and make it? So for me, the future of Schoolable is just like empowering kids and asking, making them ask more questions, making them challenge the status quo. And I believe that one of the first places we can do that is making them, you know, see things or making them financially uh, more like introducing financial literacy and independence early in their lives, because that is something that they are going to have to do throughout their life. How can we manage money? How can we spend it properly? How can we understand? Because from understanding money and understanding managing it properly and all, you'll be able to understand a lot of other things moving forward. So for me, success looks like how many kids have we gotten, have we given cards, how many kids are now able to independently make decisions, you know, based on the resources they have available to them. You know, so we want to massively educate kids on how to manage and spend money, how to think independently about resources and economic means. Yeah. Fantastic. That's awesome. Henry, it's been fantastic speaking with you. Um, you know, uh, this is why we do the podcast, you know, just getting vital voices out. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to do here, to be here. Uh, next time we, we do this, I would love to meet Angela. Uh, if I knew Absolutely. your co-founder was a, was a female, I would have <laughs> insisted on having her instead of you. There are too many dudes out here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so, so thanks for taking the time, Henry. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mark. I really appreciate you giving me the time.